Hope the future generations can get this urge. Stay woke, youngin', and avenge these nerds. Uh. What's up, guys? Welcome to another Nerds of the Round Creator Series. This is your host, Sebastian. It's your boy, Law. And your boy, Tone, from across the hall. And today, we're excited to bring to you a creator and also the founder of an awesome company that's putting out some great media out there. Um, we got to talk to A. Rubin before, who told us about this company. We want to introduce you guys to Chris Van Dyke from Skullgate Media. Chris, what's up? How are you cool. doing? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Glad cool. to have you back. Of course. Thanks to have you. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. So, Chris, we like to get everyone to tell everybody their origin story, their comic book origin and how they started. What inspired you to become the writer you are today? What inspired you to build Skullgate Media? Um, all right, well, you get the, I guess, the, the issue zero to go back to the beginning. I mean, like a lot of creative people, like I just, you know, I was, I was writing since as long as I can remember. You know, I think my first book, I was four years old and my, you know, my grandmother helped me write it out because I couldn't write yet and she stapled it together for me. So I've been writing and creating for as long as I can remember. And then, you know, like I'm 42 and it sort of took a break after college. Like I did it really casually, but I didn't do pursue publishing anything until about four years ago. And then I started playing D&D again after a long break. I hadn't played D&D in like 15 years. Um, and I started playing D&D and I was the DM because that was always my role back in high school too. And so I'm writing all the stories. And I was at some point, it's like, I like the writing part of this. And my friends were like, you're putting like six hours a week into planning these sessions, dude, you should turn this into something. So it's like, yeah, maybe I'll write a book. And so that turned into a book. Um, I just realized, remembered how much I liked writing. So then I started doing some short stories and doing some books and things. And then COVID um, is what kicked off Skullgate Media. Like everyone else in the world, I was stuck at home and bored with more time on my hands than I'd had previously. And I was on Twitter. And I, somebody asked me if I wanted to be part of an anthology and I had a lot of time writing, fun writing my story. Um, so then I thought, hey, I'd like to do that. And so I put out a tweet and said, hey, who'd like to join me writing a book? And about 40 people said yes in the first 24 hours. Nice. And, <laughs> and what started out, it was going to be just like a PDF. My first plan is it's going to be a zine. Like we'll put it on my website. People can download it. And by the time we were done, we had an ISBN number. We you know, had an actual wow. cover. We had wow. a print edition. And decided to make a company out of it and so that was that was last august and here we are um i've got five books out and uh four more coming Dude, out this year you know how to stay busy sadly yes yeah <laughs> for, better, for better or worse i don't know how to relax no i was just gonna say like you know starting during the pandemic so you know you've got all these anthologies you've got the, the two that are out and you've got the the new one i saw that's just taking in applications that's just that's just it's just wild and the yeah. fact that you've got uh, all these people coming in to, 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 to work with you. Do you, do you feel that there's just, there's a lot of writers out there that want to write, but don't know how to get themselves into something. And do you think that after you put out that tweet, like it was just like opening a opening Pandora's box and all these folks are like, I've got a story. I want to be a part of something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, being on the again, sort of part of writing Twitter, there are a lot of writers out there and there's a lot of really good writers out there. And just, you have, you have a publishing industry, which just, you know, doesn't, you know, there isn't room for all those people to be formally published. And today, I mean, you guys are doing a podcast, you know, like the, the threshold for putting media down has come down so much just in the last four or five years, like the technology you need on um, the entry level is lower, which you know, does. And the hard part of that means the market is flooded. Right. If you put out a podcast 10 years ago, it was you and like six other people. Now it's, you know, every, everyone and their dog has a podcast, right? So it's like putting it out. It's not the hard part at this point. It's the being seen. 
but yeah, there's, there's a lot of writers out there um, and there's not enough venues for their writing to go out. So yeah, I've, I've been finding people, it's easy to find people <laughs> to work with. That's, that's not the problem. You said you've been writing since you were like really young. What were some of the stories that you were like interested in telling and what were the stories that you were interested in like reading? Uh, well, in middle school, I started my first comic book company, um, which didn't, you know, go, we made one issue. It was 1992 or 94. So it was heavily influenced by 90s X-Men and the early image comics. So everyone was all pecs. There were like <laughs> 75 utility belts. Everyone had a pouch. Was, you know, there were pouches and swords and guns that just didn't make any sense. It was a lot of, you know, Rob Liefeld and the Mark Silvestri mm -hmm. and Jim it. Lee. Uh, so I, I, I forget, I, me and a friend came up with a team that I, you know, it was probably just, you know, it's the X-Men reskinned, but you know, that's what, that's what Rob Liefeld did at Image anyways, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, we're, you know, we were 12, we had an excuse. Um, so I did that. Um, I mean, I was a huge Tolkien fan. Um, in high school, I spent a lot of time working on some mythology and I wrote like a 50 page epic poem and rhyming verse about some, you know, elf world that I'd made up that my parents still have somewhere. Um, so I mean, early on, it was a lot of, it was a lot of X-Men comics and a lot of like Tolkien fantasy, right? Then when I went to college, you know, I kept reading a lot of fantasy, but I read a lot of uh, more like magical realism, a lot of Gabriel Garcia Marquez, um, you know, Gunter Grass, stuff like that. So I started getting more sort of literary things um, that I was writing. I wrote a lot of poetry in college, you know, I had to be a little more pretentious for a few years. Um, <laughs> and, Ouch, and I'm a poet writer too. Like <laughs> a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of coffee houses and all yeah. that other type of stuff. You know, I got to go, went from being one of the gym lead and then I decided I had to be T.S. Eliot, um, <laughs> which, which I still love, you know, so I went, you know, but then I'd like, you know, melding the two, that's I think where it went eventually. It's like, I'm going to read the X-Men and the T.S. Eliot and you don't have to choose between the two. Right. So I sort of like to think that's sort of what we're doing with Skullgate, actually, because we have some people that write like modernist poetry right next to, uh, you know, pulp fiction and the same anthologies. So there's a bit of cultural whiplash that we can give our readers. Nice. Yeah. So one of the things I, I did, like, because again, how we heard about you was through Mutual Friend, which was a mm -hmm. Ruben, um, which we got to see some of the anthology Under the Sun. Tell us how this project came together, this recently released anthology that you have everyone in there. Yeah, so the Under New Suns is the second book in this anthology series that we're doing. And as um, you mentioned, we're, um, we're gearing up, we're recruiting for book three right now. And the premise of the series is that each book is an original world um, that the authors create together. So I actually was inspired by, there's this indie sort of role-playing game called The Quiet Year by Avery Alder, um, which is, it's a world-building game. So nobody plays a character, but you sit around a table and there's prompts and you create a, you create a world together. Um, and I thought it was awesome, but I wanted to scale it up. So I basically did a homebrew, hacked the rules, came up with the rules so we could do it using Google Docs and 25 people. Um, and so that's for, for each of the first two books, we did that. We're changing the rules up for three, but the premise is still, we get a, whole, a group of strangers together. And the first thing we do is we, we create a world from scratch. Everyone gets a turn, you go around and you, you add an element, you add a plot piece. Um, so for the first book, it was sort of this dark fantasy. Um, I was actually inspired by the dark sun setting from D&D, um, &D, if you remember that from the 90s, the sort of post-apocalyptic. So I wanted to do something. So that was book one. In book two, we decided to do... Um, 
just sort of pulp fantasy, or not, not pulp fantasy, sci-fi. We want to do like a space opera. And so I sort of came up with a, the seed idea. I wanted to be a little more episodic. So it's like, we're on a spaceship that's on the other end of the galaxy. We don't know how we got there. Um, sort of Star Trek Voyager-ish. We go from there. We know nothing about the world. We don't know about the technology. We don't know why the ship's there or where it happened. And so each turn, everyone had a little prompt that they got to add something about to the world. It'd be like the most important person in the crew gets sick. Who is it and what, how does it affect the crew? And so that person for their crew, they'd get to like make up who is, who is the most important person in the crew? And they'd add a little of their backstory. And each turn, someone would create a, a member of the crew as well to give us a little more details about. So by the end of the game, we had 25 crew members. Each person had come up with their backstory um, and they'd come up with uh, sort of a year's worth of events that had happened on the ship that was, again, you know, so it's, it's a sort of a combination between like D&D and an improv comedy troupe. So, like <laughs> um, and so that's, that's sort of the framework. And then everyone goes and writes a story set Set, set somewhere in that universe. And it can be the story, it could be the piece they provided to the game or it could be something else. It could be, um, some people did like medical records. Um, you know, some people again, did poetry. Uh, a few people did, you know, they do like a, a study of the marine biology on a certain planet and other people just did more straightforward, you know, here's a, here's a, here's an exciting caper about a sexy space pirate and so <laughs> if you read the book, it doesn't necessarily tell one big story but it's a whole bunch of little pieces yeah. Mm. that are all sort of come it's almost like fan fiction for a, a ip that doesn't exist in one way also, yeah i like <laughs> yeah. that with skullgate media now there's five of us i'm the um i'm the founder and president but there's four other people who help me run the company there's colleen stories chris durston diana gagliardi and debbie yanku so i'm not the only one doing this um and so we've been having to sort of figure out with book two we're like yeah we, we can't just take anyone who wants in first of all we hey there's too many people and b we want to do a quality product now that we actually have a company and so and it's a it, it's a weird vetting process because normally with an anthology people send you a story you look at it you go i like the story i'm going to print it whereas with this book we're gonna say, you're gonna write a story after you've joined the group. And we're just gonna assume and trust that what you're gonna write is a good story. So at the vetting process currently is people send us a writing sample from some previous work. And then they basically send a little, almost like blurb of this is why I'd like to be part of this weird project you have going. And our first step is we read the writing sample blind without looking at anything else. And we sort of sort through as a group um, we have this color coding system. All of us read it and like you give it a green if you love it, like a red if you hate it and a yellow in between. And so then we look, anyone who has all greens, uh, three or four greens moves on to like the next round. Mm. And then we look at all those and we sort of look through what people have said. And we try to aim for a diverse group. Once we've sorted that down, we're looking for, we'd like, we'd like our books to have, you know, people of different ethnic backgrounds, racial backgrounds, cultural backgrounds, you know, LGBTQ, um, try, you know, we've had people from Israel to India to England. And so that's part of it too. We don't want it to just to be, you know, 25, um, you know, white dudes that look like me all sitting around enjoying our old, you know, D and D from the nineties. Um, <laughs> right. you know, we've, you know, we've had authors in their sixties and authors who are in their twenties. So we, you know, we want to have a group where it's going to be interesting and different. And we've actually, each book had a bunch of, like, we've had people in the fantasy book who've never written fantasy and people in sci-fi who've never written sci-fi, mm -hmm. um, which I think brings really interesting ideas too. It's not just, I love Orson Scott Card, so I want to write a space book. It's actually, normally I write adult romance, um, but I'd be interested in writing a science fiction story with you. It's like, sure, let's try it out. Yeah, definitely. Like you, you, you see it, like, like I know in, in your piece that we wrote, like it's based in that you wrote in um, in volume two, that it's based, it feels like it's based in a sci-fi setting because they're on the ship and she's dealing with 
uh, Dylan, who re- reminds her of her brother. But there's a lot going on with Suzanne that's through the inner monologues that we get. And it just we're finding out more about her and her story in your in the sci fi in the sci-fi story and like we know a little bit about the ship being alive and the interactions with the ship and being sentient and her having the ship having a name uh and a, and a gender identity and it's just i i totally see that where we're not just getting people doing a thing we're getting stories about people in the ship and we got yeah. the same thing too with um with ari's story uh i and i where we learn about the the character and the responsibilities that he's going through and how he's breaking away from the collective and finding his own singularity. So I totally, totally jive with what with what you're doing in, in the book. Cool. Thanks. So another book you you did a you perusing through the bios. <laughs> I love that you have a cyberpunk series, man. Um and the yeah. cyberpunk series called Postcards from Neo Tokyo. Um, what was the creative process creating this book? And can you give us the, the viewers and listeners um, a description of the book? And what yeah, can exactly. we get? So that's, uh, well, that, that you can get on Amazon. Um, that one is mine. Um, it's actually not a Skullgate thing. It's just my own project. I actually did it before starting Skullgate. Uh, and I'm working on book three now. Actually, the genesis of that is sort of funny because I got into trying to publish and I quickly realized that there was sort of the self-published route and the traditionally published route. Um, and I think a bunch of people were having a lot of success self-publishing sort of serial novels. And so it actually started with my So this is Charles Dickens, you know, economic. I was like, I want to write a serial. Like, I'm just going to write a bunch of short little books and see what I can do with that. So it started out more as like, I want to write something that can sell. And I was like, what could be serialized? So it's like, well, it's like Pulp Fiction. I was like, why not do Pulp Fiction? I like doing sci-fi. So I was like, all right, cyberpunk. So really, I actually came to it. I was like, what could I sell? And then I... Um, so I decided I wanted to write something that would be make for a serial. So I came up with a character who's sort of a, you know, somewhat stereotypical, but I'd like to think, you know, unique, you know, private eye. She's slightly alcoholic. Um, you know, she's a little burned out. She's missing her, her dead girlfriend. Um, I'll sort of hit in some of the dark cliches and then just gave it a sort of a cyberpunk spin. And the first one, you know, I just sort of outlined and I wrote that in a month. And then I wrote the sequel to it. And then I sort of, I paused when I was starting um, Skullgate, but I've actually outlined a whole like eight book arc and I'm working on book three to that now. So that's, uh, yeah, it's sort of a, it's definitely, it's cyberpunk. It's, it's, it leans a lot more into the, um, getting into sort of a, the noir aspect of it. It's a little okay. less hacking and a little more just sort of like, she's a, she's a private eye. She's living in the city that's dominated by like robots and artificial intelligence. You know, the, the, the premise behind it is almost sort of like an Amazon prime gone out of control. The dystopian future is that 10% of the populace lives in ap, you know, opulent wealth while the rest live in abject squalor. And it's because um, the, the AI bots were, were programmed to optimize the average happiness and they realized the best way to get the average happiness was make some people super, super, super happy um, because it didn't matter how unhappy everyone else was because the average still goes up. Um, so as long as you can have 10% of the populace completely mind-alteringly happy, um, it doesn't matter what happens to everyone else. And so as AI, they just went about making the, the richest people happier and happier while ignoring everyone else. Um, so that's that's sort of the world-building backstory to it. And the ultimate, it's like her versus the robots, and there's sort of a Terminator element going on as well. And she keeps encountering this freedom fighter who's a running character who becomes more and more part of the plot. And you have a, a lot of what you're what you're working on. So like going, you know, perusing through your site and looking at the pieces yeah. that you have. Uh, I went to the section um, 
where you have uh, short fiction and other projects and kind of scroll down to what you've been passing around to see what you can get published or into yeah. a movie or anything like that. I got to ask you, what, what's going on with Dragon's Curse? Because I read, I read that prompt and that is, that is 100% up my alley. Um, is there, is there a, it looks like you said you have a, a, a full or partial manuscript. What's, it feels very like fantasy and, and, yeah. like, and all the things that are going on. I get some Duns and Dragons types of vibes, but also some Aragorn types of vibes. Just a little bit of like all the fantasy stuff that I'm very much into. So could you give us a little bit about, about Dragon's Curse? Yeah, so Dragon's Curse, that was the first novel that I wrote. That's the one that was inspired by my D&D campaign. And I was like, I'm going to write a book. And then um, that's one when I was finished with it for the first time. The whole time I was writing it, it was like, this is going to just be for me. And then my friends were like, you should get it published. They're like, nah, it's just for me. And then I was done. I'm like, well, I got a book. Now I should probably try to get it published. But I've quickly found that, I mean, just getting published is not easy, like at all, just statistically. Um, and I think, honestly, being a first time author trying to pitch a 800 page fantasy novel, it's, it's not an easy taker. It's not saying it doesn't happen. Um, but so that book I've sort of put to the side for now because I do love it. I would love to have it published. I'm not sure if it's something I'm willing to self-publish yet. Um, just because once you self-publish something, you're pretty much shutting the door to ever finding a publisher for it. Um, most, most publishing places won't reprint things that you've self-published. They just don't want to touch it. But yeah, that is that was my first big book. I've I've got a trilogy outlined for it, but since it took me four years, I've sort of put it on hold for now. I mean, if you want it, I can, I, I've got copies of it sort of printed up for my, myself and for reading. I can uh, definitely pass it around, but it's not officially available. Whatever don't, yeah, don't, whatever. don't tease them with a good time. Yeah, don't, 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 don't tease me with no, with no, with no uh, really good fantasy stuff. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely here for it. And, and, and just to make sure I'm getting it all right, this is, you you were influenced based off like you DMing and, and writing all of that. Does this, does Dragon's Curse take place in the, in the bit of the world that you were trying to build with your, with your team, with your DM yeah. at, your, at your table? Yeah. So that was, that was a spinoff of my homebrew campaign um, where I took elements of what I was doing there. And it doesn't like follow the campaign, but it sort of takes the big arc that I'd come up with um, as the background. And it takes a few of the characters from where they started. And yeah, it's, it's based in the world um, that I was doing, which um, actually my, the idea behind it was, it was sort of, I wanted to set it in the world where the original heroes had lost, that this is 100 years after like an original group of heroes had blown it and you were sort of living in the aftermath of, um, I'd actually started, my original plan was I was gonna DM, I wasn't gonna make my own world because that's so much work. I'm just gonna do the, was it the, 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 the 5E, like they had their initial campaign was like the like T-Match Wrath or something like that. And I started campaigning, doing that. And eventually I was like, I can't do someone else's thing. I got to do my own stuff. But I kept thinking in all, in Team Matt's Wrath, what would have happened if the heroes would have lost? Like there's so many thing, uh, points where if the hero blows this mission, the evil dragon god rises and the world ends. Um, and so that was actually the premise of my thing is it's a hundred years in the future. Those heroes have lost. The dragon god has ruled the world with an iron fist for the last hundred years. Um, what happens next? And so that's actually the, the premise of Dragon's Curse is you're taking up with a world where there haven't been heroes for a hundred years. And um, you have, and actually the gods, the, the the return of the dragon god, the god had killed off all the other gods and there had been no gods in the world. And then one, this one orc cleric has this vision that her god has come back to life and you're sort of following um, what's happening with that. And there's a bunch of bunch of twists coming down the pike, but yeah, it's a, it's a good old fashioned fantasy with a little more, I think with some 
modern you know aspects to it as well um it's also thick of being a slightly pretentious and you know college it's riddled with a lot of i was i was a medieval studies major in college um so okay. i i translated old norse sagas and i've got one of my tattoos is from the all saga um so I, I i know a lot about sort of the middle ages and so mm -hmm. i sprinkle the book with a whole bunch of sort of excerpts from their world, um, which are inspired by specific Icelandic, like medieval texts and German German um, witch hunting manuscripts and things from real life as well. So there's a there's a bunch of research in there. I'm here right. for it. <laughs> I already know a few instantly <laughs> already. I already know a few uh, dungeon masters. I got to put you in front of talk fantasy. Yes, I mean, we're all big. All of us are big fantasy fans here, and obviously cool. we're uh, dungeon and dragon fans too, having fun with the game but um you also wrote a uh, fantasy story um the far home elf chronicles which again yes. that caught my eye and it was a new series that you have releasing um actually this year november 2021 um, and it was inspired by your son how important was it to come out with this series and tell us um what was it like to make this book approachable to young readers um yeah so that book again i was writing mainly because my son has dyslexia and adhd he's 12 now and it's always been a struggle to get him to read he just doesn't like reading we've tried comic books but actually with his dyslexia he actually finds that more confusing he doesn't like reading graphic novels either and a lot of kids do but just that hasn't been his thing and so at some point I couldn't find any books that he was interested in. And so I decided, well, maybe I could write one because um, he loves he loves it when we read him Harry Potter. He loves it when we read him. Um, you know, I'm currently reading The Lord of the Rings at bedtime. Um, you know, he likes all the Percy Jackson books. He just doesn't like reading himself. Um, and I could we could find books at his reading level, but they're just increasingly less and less interesting to him. You know, I couldn't find, you know, so I could find books that had fairies and elves in them, but they all tend to be like, talking animals and like, you know, girls with their like fairy dragons or something. And there's some great books, but just as a 12 year old kid, you know, he wanted some action epic adventure. And so that's what I, that's what I tried to set out to do. And so the first book, I just sort of, I outlined a quick story um, and I decided I wanted to keep them short too, because, you know, part of it is just the length that if you're a struggling reader and you pick up a book, even if it's, uh, you know, 200 pages, it looks like you're never going to get through it. You know, so I'm a, I'm a high school teacher um, and I teach at a high, I teach in the public high schools here in New York. So I've, I've taught struggling readers for a long time and, you know, getting that that sort of level of confidence if I can read a book that I'm actually interested in. So yeah, so I set out to write it both with sort of simpler sentences. I'm trying to keep the reading level um, low without coming across as being overly simple and trying to keep the book shorter, but also, you know, having also the action and adventure of a more adult fantasy novel. So it's, and that's evolving. I've just, I just finished book four of that, um, but book one does have a publisher with this, a small publishing company called Kindred Inc. And that is coming out in November and will be my first um, book published by someone other than myself. So that is nice. exciting. Nice, congrats. congrats. Thanks. So I, I have two kids. I have a, a son and a daughter and my son is six turning seven. And um, well, it's not, well, it's not like diagnosed or anything. You know, we've, we've been thinking he may have uh, ADHD or dyslexia because reading is also a challenge. Uh, he's going through kindergarten. Kindergarten of our time is not like kindergarten of kids nowadays. It is <laughs> yeah. just, it is just a whole different beast. Um, more than just eating paste. And it really is. Yeah. It's like, you would think like pre-K, his pre-K was our kindergarten. It was just, just fun and nonsense. Um, and now it's just reading. And that's been one of, one of the challenges my wife and I have been having. And like, we like, to, we read stories to them when we can. Um, but we've been also trying to find that 
that thing because he loves comics and he loves Marvel characters and he loves superheroes and Star Wars. He loves watching all that stuff. But just giving him that that the, the confidence to read has been something we've all been been trying to do. Um, so this looks really looks really cool and be something we definitely could add to the things of reading to uh, to him at night. That's been something I've been wanting to do, which is kind of reading, continuing continuing stories. Like you said, you've done with, with, with Harry Potter and with Lord of the Rings and all that, just to kind of still get that, those really fun and intense stories in there. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm really stoked to see when this comes out. So uh, to kind of get it going, because I want to get him into the fantasy stuff. I put on Lord of the Rings for him and he's like, this is cool, dad, but okay. I'm like, dude, I don't know what you're talking about, man. Watching this stuff on Epic TV. <laughs> like, dude, I don't, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know what else gets better. Yeah, that's why I mean, I'm hoping to give it all the sort of the sort of the more epic twist that if you were a 15 year old and you're picking up like you know David Eddings or some classic fantasy book, you know I've got maps in the front, um, you know there's it's there's an evolving big long fantasy arc, um, but it's a little just simpler so it's more approachable. Yeah, especially I find um, as a teacher it's easy for me in high school like there's a for better there's a, been a lot of push for like urban books yeah. for struggling readers. So like when I have a kid who's struggling reading and he's 15, it's very easy for me to find, there's a whole Blueford series. You know, I can find a book about a 15 year old kid in Chicago trying to decide whether or not to join a gang. But that's pretty much the only type of struggling reader books that I can find for like, it's that or sports, there's sports books too. Um, but if, you, if you're more of a nerd, <laughs> You know, you, you, have, you like your fantasy stuff, you just have a hard time reading. Like, it's sort of hard to get. So that's why I'm, I hope there's all like a niche to fit into. It's like, all right, it's not, you're not a struggling reader who's, you know, you don't want gang banging and you don't want, you know, football. You want an elf with a sword. It's like, yeah, I, I'll give you an elf with a sword. That just, uh, and like, that just kind of feels like we're just pigeonholing uh, yeah. kids who are having those issues into one sort of demographic in yeah. urban areas. So there's just to, just for publishers to at a point to be like, yeah, we're just going to make stuff about sports and and to say no to game. I'm like, oh, it's no, like it, really yeah. sad. Like that's yeah, no. yeah. I was gonna say, I mean, the, and the problem is, I think it comes from a well. It's I, I'm an extremely liberal person, but it comes from that sort of middle class liberal thing of we want to help people, but what do people mean? What does help mean? And it's like that you have this image of who's struggling? It's poor black kids in the inner city. What are we going to do? Give them a book about being poor and black in the inner city. We've done our job. And it's like, we yeah. did it. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, we said that. Pat, pat on the back. Yeah, I read, yeah. Now I'm going to go read my copy of the autobiography of Malcolm X and feel like a good white person. Like that's not like, that's yeah. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> no, I mean, hey, that's, that's, that's valid though. That's valid. I mean, yeah. and, and, and it's it, you as a, as an educator, as a teacher, like recognizing that that's what yeah. makes a difference. Yeah. Like I've there, you know, uh, you're, you're an English teacher, I would assume. Correct. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. So the English teachers that I remember, cause me, me and law went to the same high school and like, we've had some really good English teachers, not because of learning all the stuff, but because of how down to earth they were with us and giving us make, they made classics interesting. Mm -hmm. Like I had no intention. I remember for first grade for, for freshman year, we had to read the Iliad and the Odyssey and I opened right. it up and I read it yeah. and I was like, how the fuck am I going to read this? Yeah. And then I had Mr. G come in and he told us about it and he started to get everything. And this always sticks in my head. We all went to go see Troy because Troy came out our freshman year mm -hmm. and you've got all these kids, all these black and Hispanic kids going to a theater in Manhattan and we're watching Troy and we were calling out all the bullshit that's not from the book. Ajax just, never did that. Yeah, yeah we're just, sit down, man. And, like, yeah. and then this whole like I have a thing when, when I watch because I like watching the movie because it's fun. Yeah. But I always tell my wife, I'm like, man, I fucking hate 
Paris so much. He's such a bitch. I hate him. I hate him so. Much. <laughs> like you know, imagine like, reading that same story, those same stories in Latin. Yeah. yeah. Like so. Uh, yeah, and like what what you're doing and just taking, do, recognizing what your students need and giving that to them is making memories and and making them feel heard and seen. And that's what's great about some of the teachers that I know that are really caring about the craft of teaching and, and leading kids to the, of the next generation, not just giving them a book about a kid who looks like you and, and probably comes yeah. from the same hood that you come from and either is going to uh, not do gangbanging, hopes to get out and make money, either being a rapper or, or doing sports. Like there's other ways we can talk to kids of color and bring them into the fold. So I, kudos to you and everything yeah, that, you, cool. that you are Thanks. doing. Yeah, I remember us getting the assigned readings and the teachers, which I really love, the, each teacher got one book per semester, I think it was, that they can assign themselves. And my freshman year teacher gave us um, The Thief of Always, I believe, uh-huh. for uh, with Clive Barker. And I was like, he was like, cool. yeah, yeah. You, you guys like Hellraiser and stuff? And we're like, and some of us like didn't really, we're big horror fans, but me and my siblings we're like, yeah. are. And I'm like, <laughs> go on, <laughs> you don't say. And easily one of my favorite books of all time one of the only books i've read multiple times and it's so good so yes. i love when teachers like you know have that connection to students be like here like reading could be more than just like the shakespeare that we give you and you know all the stuff that we have to teach you what are some obstacles that you have faced as an independent creator how did you overcome them and what advice would you give to or would like to share to various independent creators out there whether they want to get into writing or anything or in this field I guess I'm the biggest challenge that I'm still overcoming, I won't say I've overcome and I won't say I haven't overcome it yet, um, is just getting, um, growing our audience. Um, you know, it's, it's, like I said earlier, you know, it's a big media world out there these days. It's so easy to self-publish your own books. Kindle and Amazon are just swamped um, with, you know, new books. Um, so getting out there and advertising, like you can spend money on ads and nothing goes anywhere. Um, so I'm still, fig- I'm still figuring that out. Each of our book sales have gone up a little more. So I'm hoping sort of the old school idea of the best advertisement for your book is the next book, you know, holds out. Um, it's, it's a lot of word of mouth, but especially with anthologies, every book has a, you know, already built an audience of 30 people and they have friends and then they know who Skullgate Media is. Um, so we're growing there. You know, that's the one, um, that's, I mean, that's honestly the biggest challenge at the moment. The good thing is today with like print on demand, like there isn't a huge overhead. Like 10 years ago, if you wanted to self-publish a book, you had to spend $10,000 and order 5,000 copies of a book and not know if you were gonna sell it. You know, these days, you know, we don't have to put out a lot of money up front for the book. So, you know, we, we don't, we don't really have a budget per se, um, you know, like, like a lot of, a lot of, um, I'm sure independent creators, um, my hobby is paying for itself so far. And I'm hoping it'll do more than that at some point, but as long as it's not, you know, as long as my partner's not nagging me about how much money I've spent putting books out, I think I'm doing okay. So again, there's, there's five of us as, you know, in it, um, none of us are making any money yet, but we're making books. And so that's, that's fun and exciting. Um, I guess the advice I would have for anyone, especially if you wanted to do self-publishing, because that's what my experience field is, is one, just ask. The The writing community is really, really friendly. Um, I got on writing Twitter particularly, and just people would immediately, strangers would say, hey, send me your query letter. I'll look it over. Um, oh, I self-published 10 books. Um, you know, shoot me a DM if you have any questions. So I'd say, don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, 
and also just don't be afraid to try it. The, again, with the bar being so low, I put out in the, um, the postcards from Neo Tokyo book basically as a test for myself to figure out how to publish something. Um, with the good thing is if it completely flops, you know, you've spent zero, I spent $5 on some stock art for the cover and you know, that was it. And you know, it sold 50 copies. I'm not breaking any records, but um, then if I keep selling stuff, it's out there. So if people hear about me, it's going to be there at some point. So I'd say, yeah, take, you know, take some risks, have some fun. And especially if you're not making money, make sure you're having fun. And that's what I keep telling everyone, the rest of my Skullgate team too. And they start getting too stressed. It's like, listen, until we can quit our jobs, this is a hobby. It's a fun hobby. It's, you know, we're legally incorporated as a business, but it's a hobby. And if this is making, bringing more stress than joy to your life, you're doing this wrong, right? This should be fun. So I guess have fun, ask questions and um, don't be afraid to try new stuff. D&D came up. Yeah. What was your class in Dungeons and Dragons aside from being a DM when you were playing? <laughs> Ranger. Ranger? Yeah, I'm almost, I was almost always the D, um, like I was the kid that found the game, which I think is what dooms you to be the dungeon master forever. The first kid to show up with the rule book and go, hey guys, I got this game I came across. Um, especially back, you know, back in the 90s where it wasn't like everywhere. Actually, my first game wasn't Dungeons and Dragons. It was the Middle Earth role-playing game by the now defunct Iron Crown Enterprises. I found it in a Walden Books in a, in a mall in my summer of my sixth grade year. Um, and my parents told me I could buy, have money to buy a book. I'm like, can I get this thing instead? Because it says Lord of the Rings on the front of it. And that's it. I had, I'd never heard of a role-playing game. I didn't know what it was, but it had the Hobbit on it. And I was, huge, I was a huge Tolkien nerd. So I took it home, read the rules, and then taught all my friends how to play. So I was the DM basically for life. But when I got to play, I'd be a ranger. Um, Hashtag forever DM. But <laughs> rangers, yes. So happy. My first character is a ranger. So yeah, I was, a, I was always a big fan of some of the underpowered characters. Like, I don't know, for some reason, I like to almost play like the everyman for some reason. I didn't want to be, I wasn't a min max or a little munchkin. Like some people that we know. I was interested in have any of your former students done any writings for you, like for the anthology, or brought that up to you that they do want to be writers? Yeah, actually, uh, one of my former students, um, Zachary Cuevas, is in um, Under New Suns. He joined oh, us wow. for that. I was excited. Awesome. He graduated. Um, I was his English teacher from 2006 to 2010. And so it's a, it's a ways back in the alumni. But yeah, um, and he, we'd actually played D&D together back before the pandemic hit where I was playing in real life. He and another of my students, Aaron, they were part of my Dungeons and Dragons campaign for a little while. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Yeah, so that, yeah. That, was, that was a fun thing to do, that he got to come in and write a great story with us. And I did just last week a former student from way back who I had in 2002, one of my first groups. Her sister was getting into writing, so she was asking me. And actually, well, oh, then I have uh, my Camone Felix, um, one of my former students who was shortlisted for the Pulitzer Prize in uh, poetry, which is just... And you would actually see her on. That's um, she, awesome. She's a comment. Um, she comments on like um, CSNBC. She's like a political analyst. That's fantastic. And so she and she writes poetry, and she's just she's awesome. So um, that's great. Yeah. So that's that's always it's always fun the few times that that happens. Like I don't I don't keep track of so I've had so many kids, but you know when kids come back and tell you things are going well, and when they're doing some writing or just even if they're not writing, if they're proud just, teacher you know, moments for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I had it. I had to, before we go. I just had the title for um the Sam's um Sam's wife's uh Rose's uh book. Okay. We called it always um the Real Housewives of Hobbit Town. 
Oh. <laughs> Red shirts <laughs> have names. Get out. Oh, we're, kicking, we're kicking him out. We're take my. Oh no. Take See, my... That's, that's that's gonna be an anthology right there. We're gonna have to get ten people. Everyone's gonna create a different little housewife of the Middle Earth, and we're gonna have like a whole. There you go. <laughs> that would be so oh, ridiculous. Man, Housewives of Middle Earth. Just... <laughs> oh, my God. Like I am from Rohan. Oh, right over you, Hobbit. It's like, yeah, <laughs> hold your beer, lady. <laughs> That's amazing. I love it, Chris. Thank you yeah. for coming on again. We gotta definitely have you back on. Um, get some more fantasy talk going. We thank you again for coming out to the Nerds of the Round. Guys, please check out Skullgate Media. Please check out Chris, um cvandyke.com. Buy his books. Make this man rich so that this way we can get more books from him. And yeah, basically. <laughs> and definitely keep um, the Far Home Elf Chronicles in your calendar for a November 2021 release. This has been your boy, Sebastian. It's your boy, Law. And your boy, Tone from across the hall. Stay nerdy. Peace out, everybody. Hey, everybody. Peace.